If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to find, if you would, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and um, we're going to be, begin there here in a moment. If you did not bring your Bible, or if you're watching online, we'll be putting these verses up on the screen. Picking up in the first verse, the title of today's message for those that are taking notes are Seven Signs of Jesus' Resurrection in keeping with our theme of seven. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day Rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, Mary and the other, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he declared and departed, uh, excuse me, marveling to himself at what had happened. You know, beginning last Sunday, we began this celebration by welcoming Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. He came in lowly riding on a donkey, but he was triumphant. And the cries of the multitudes were, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the Hebrew, it is Yashana, victory has come, salvation has come, prosperity has come, the king has come. And they welcomed him into Jerusalem. Then through the course of the week, Jesus was between Bethany and Jerusalem, teaching every day, ministering to people and preparing his disciples for his crucifixion. So we marveled on Wednesday night as we sat at the feet of Jesus, as he taught about the signs of the times and the end of the age. And in very, very specific ways, he explained to us what was going to be occurring before he would return again and receive us into glory. And then we mourned on Friday as we gathered together and remembered that they crucified our king. We were silent on Saturday. And now once again... Here we are gathered together to celebrate the risen Lord. But how do we know he is risen? You know, that's a great question, is it? We weren't there. That was thousands of years ago. Yeah, we have historical documents. And, but is there real evidence? Are there real signs of Jesus' resurrection? And what are the proof and what is the proof that he is resurrected and alive today? I want to remind you that Paul stated these very words to the Corinthians over 2,000 year, years ago when he said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Then he went on to say, but now Christ is risen from the dead. And so there has to be signs or evidence of this resurrected Savior. 
And the first sign that I want to point out to you today is the sign of Scripture, the message of Scripture. He is risen just as it was written. The psalmist said in Psalm 16 and verse 10 that God would not leave his son in Sheol or hell, would not allow him to see corruption. The early fathers and early disciples of the church preached the resurrection wherever they went. It was according to the Scriptures. Scripture tells us over and over again and foretold us of the life of a Messiah that would come, that would minister, that would suffer, that would sacrifice his life, but would be gloriously resurrected on the third day. Jesus, no less than three times, shared that message with his apostles. It's documented in all of the gospel writings. It is written. It has been said that Jesus is the only man in history that foretold his death and then kept a promise with his resurrection. And therefore, we have great confidence and great assurance because of the sign of Scripture. It is written. God's word foretold it. It came to pass. And it was told after his resurrection that he is alive. The question was asked in our text today, why? What in the world are you doing looking for him here? He's not here. He's risen just as he said. We have the sign of Scripture. And the sign of Scripture is significant because heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. Jesus is alive. The second witness and the second sign that we have is the sign of Jonah. Jesus interacting with the religious leaders of his time and those that were in authority, they ask a sign of him, always seeking a sign. They had a hard time believing scripture, so they were always looking, always longing for him to prove himself. But Jesus wasn't going to fall prey to that trap because he was not a puppet on their strings. He was the son of the living God. And he said, the only sign that I'll give you, and it's going to be significant, is the sign of Jonah. And they knew about Jonah. This is a crowd that knew the scripture. And he said, just as Jonah was in this great belly of a fish for three days and three nights, so the son of man will be in the heart of the earth. And just as Jonah was resurrected out of that fish, Jesus was resurrected out of the grave. It was a sign of Jonah. The reason that Jesus gave them that sign was no matter what Jesus said to these rascals, they weren't going to believe him. They were constantly prodding him and tempting him and testing him. And so he said, I'm not going down that road with you, but I'll tell you what road I will go down with you because I care so much about you. When I'm risen, you'll remember the sign of Jonah. That story will be much more than a fish tale. That will be a story of my life, of why I came, that I am risen. And they could not refute it. When they got together and tried to figure out what was going on, I imagine one of the scribes, one of the Pharisees, one of the teachers of the law said, Hey, remember, he told us about the sign that he was going to give us. Did the sign happen? Of course it did. It did. What about the story of the soldiers? The story of the soldiers is a sign. One unit of Roman soldiers, which is 16 trained men for military, were placed by Pilate to guard the tomb where Jesus was buried because the chief priest and the Pharisees were concerned that Jesus would rise from the dead. 
But when the women came early in the morning, on that first morning, that resurrection morning, there were no soldiers present on the scene. Where were they? They were trying to explain to the authorities why Jesus' body was missing. After the authorities heard their story, they gave them a large sum of money and said, If anyone asked what happened to the body of Jesus, tell them this story. His disciples came and took the body while you were sleeping. Now, this is an interesting sign because it's full of holes. This story is full of holes. Anyone who's been trained in the military knows you don't sleep at your post. So that's one of the problems with their story, because if they were caught slumbering or sleeping while they were on duty, they lost a lot, potentially their life. They lost any rank if they had earned any rank in the military up until that point. And so, first of all, you know, it's not, it's not very likely that they were asleep. Would you agree with me? All right. It's even on even more unlikely that Jesus remaining disciples, 11 fishermen and tax collectors and really nondescript individuals who had no military presence or power whatsoever, went in and overtook 16 Roman soldiers. Remember, Peter was a bad aim with the sword. When they came to get Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took off one of the men's ears hoping to catch his neck. So Jesus' men were not trained militarily. So the soldier's story is full of holes. It's another sign. And the only way we can come to a reasonable conclusion, if you want to look at it just from a reasonable standpoint, which I give everybody an opportunity to do that, is that he is risen. (laughs) The soldier's. The soldiers didn't fall asleep and the disciples were, you know, certainly turned into superheroes and came and overtook them. That just didn't happen. Okay, the fourth sign is really threefold and it all goes together. It's the seal, the stone and the grave clothes. I mean, how do you account for this in this story of Christ's resurrection? First of all, let's talk about the seal. The seal was a legal document in those days and so this tomb that jesus was placed in was hewn out of a rock it was it was a it was a the work of a craftsman and and so it was like a cave four to five feet in height six to eight foot in depth hewn out of the rock and so first of all once The work was done. It was purchased. And of course, we know it was purchased by Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man who desired the body of Jesus after his death upon the cross. And between Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they prepared Jesus' body to the best that they could before the sun went down because it was the feast of Passover. So they only had a limited time to prepare the body of Jesus for burial. But they wrapped him in linen cloth. But he didn't have time to be anointed with the fragrant oils and the spikenard. That's why the women were there early on Sunday morning, because it was the first opportunity for them to actually anoint the body of Christ. But upon Jesus being placed into this tomb, a stone was rolled into the opening. 
That typically didn't happen, but it took place in this particular scenario because of who was on the other side of the stone. Then they wrapped it in a rope, and then they took wax, and this wax was a, a hard substance, and they wrapped it around the stone, and then they sealed it with a Roman signature or a seal from the government saying that the remains of the individual on the other side of the stone are no longer meant to be disturbed. So when the women came, if there was no resurrection on that resurrection Sunday, then they could not have gotten in to anoint the body of Jesus because the stone would have been there, which weighed 4,000 pounds. It's a little bit of weight for a, a few women that probably weren't cross-fitting at the time. All right, so that's a little bit of tonnage. And then, and then secondly, it was sealed. So if the seal was broken, they would break the law and they would face criminal charges. And so they probably weren't going to be that bold and that brave to do that. But listen, someone already did it for them. The seal was broken, not by the Roman soldiers, not by the disciples, because the disciples didn't beat the women there. Man, that tells us something about our wives. Thank God our wives get up early and get a lot of work done while we are sitting there hitting the snooze button. So the disciples, and that's a good opportunity for the men to say amen. Thank God for our wives, all right? So the men are hitting the snooze button. The women are up early. They're taking upwards to you know, 60 to 100 pounds of anointing oils to dress the linen cloths that have been wrapped around Jesus. And to their amazement, when they arrived, the stone wasn't rolled away. In the original Greek, it said it was actually lifted and moved to another location. So that tells me the women didn't do it. But there were a couple rascals that were there that had the strength to do it. And they were called angels. Scripture says that they hearken unto the word of God and they excel in strength. To show you the power of one angelic being, in one night God sent an angel in the Old Testament with an assignment to protect the people of God, to go before them in battle. And one night, one angel slew 186,000 people. They excel in strength, 4,000 pounds Lightweight. Let's remove the stone. We're going to create a sign that no one can refute. We're going to give evidence that no one can deny. We're going to break the seal because it's our prerogative because God is not going to have his son sealed up by some Roman government. So no seal is going to contain him and no stone is going to block his way. And then here's maybe to me one of the most fascinating aspects of Jesus' resurrection is that when they peered, when Peter peered into this this tomb, if someone had kidnapped Jesus, they would have kidnapped him linens and all. But the linens were there. So, parents, let me go back in time. Do you remember, for those of the day... Help me out a little bit here because I need a few witnesses. Garanimals. Garanimals are, are what uh, 
clothes manufacturer gave parents that were accessory challenged. They didn't know how to dress their children properly. So, you know, you took a T-shirt that had a bear on it with a pair of pants that had a bear on it, and you laid it on your child's bed. A hippo matched a hippo. So granimals were pretty big when I was a kid, but my mother was not challenged with her attire. She said, just get dressed, Douglas. I said, yes, all right. And so that is what, when Peter peered into the tomb, that's what he saw. He saw the mummy, but there's no one encased inside these linen cloths. They were laid there. And the the story goes on and says, and there was a linen cloth that would have been placed over Jesus' face when Joseph and Nicodemus laid him in there that was folded and set off to the side. Now, that's significant because whenever a linen cloth is folded and set off to a side, the message is this, I'm returning. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so we have the sign of the seal being broken. The Roman government isn't going to break that. The soldiers aren't going to break that. The disciples aren't going to break that. The angels are going to break it, though. Why? Because there's no seal that can hold our Savior. There's no tomb that can hold our Savior. There's no grave clothes that can encompass and enclose our Savior. And just to show that it was God, the Father, that raised him by the power of his Spirit, he, after he came out of that shell, he folded up the linen cloth and put it aside and said, I'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. That's evidence. That's a sign of our resurrected Savior. Number five. There are multiple witnesses. First, he appears to Mary as a gardener. She's weeping and asking the gardener, what did you do with his body? And then as the more he talks to her, the more she realizes, oh, it's my Lord. And he says, yes, it is. Wow. So for those that are against women sharing the gospel, Jesus was first encountered by the women. Then he revealed himself first to a woman. So. Women, go share the gospel. Amen. And then this appearance to his disciples, you know, huddled in fear, rightly understandable, not knowing what their future would hold, giving up all of their livelihood to follow him. He appears to them and he dispenses of their fear and he gives evidence. He gives evidence to them that it's him. It's truly him. But one of the disciples wasn't there, Thomas. And so upon Thomas's return, the other disciples are now elated. They say that the Lord has risen, just as he said. And he says, yeah, fat chance. You guys are delusional. You've lost your mind. He said, I'm not going to believe. And he asked for evidence. And so eight days later, Jesus, because he's so gracious, shows up to those that were mocking and scoffing and belittling to the doubters of the world. And he says, here, I'm alive. And he challenged He challenged Thomas, only believe. He said, look, here's the evidence that he gave unto Thomas. Look at my scars. And then go ahead and put your hand right here into my side. That's where the Roman soldiers thrust me with the spear. And he says, don't be doubtless. Come on, only believe. I believe Thomas got the message and, you know, gave up his doubting days and became Thomas, a man of faith and power. So the seal, the... The stone, the grave clothes are all evidence. 
the witnesses that he appeared to, to Mary, to the disciples, and to Thomas. And then the sixth sign are other witnesses. And I'd like to read out uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, because it's a very important portion of Scripture. It's a resurrection chapter. And it goes like this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and and then by the twelve, Cephas is Peter. And then after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. So we already talked about the disciples. and, and he, But here's 500 others who bore witness that we have had an encounter with a risen Savior. And, and people don't just walk around fictitiously making this kind of stuff up. I mean, they could ruin their reputation. I mean, they could be categorized as those that need to get help that you better go see a doctor, you better get yourself checked out, because we evidently saw him crucified, we saw him died, we know where he was buried, and so if you're counted in that 500, you're counted in a category of people that some people thought had lost their mind. And yet 500 said, no, you can't beat it out of me. I know what I saw, I know what I encountered, I know what happened to me, and you can't take it away from me because a person with an experience beats a person with an argument every single day. And when you experience Jesus Christ and the resurrected Savior, I don't care, they can't beat Jesus out of you. They might beat the breath out of you, and you and Jesus, yeah, you just go home and you're with Him. But you 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 can't take someone's faith out of them who's had an encounter with a risen Savior. And so these other witnesses in Jerusalem after his resurrection, it says there were 500 of them in verse 6. And in verse 7, it says, and, and, and that he was seen by James, then by all of his apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So, Paul is testifying, and we know of the account on the road to Damascus is what he's referring to. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It was not empty. It was not futile. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether... It was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. And Paul sums it up and it says, hey, you can believe me or you can believe the 500 or you can believe James, James with his brother. And, and James wanted his Jesus institutionalized. Jesus' whole family thought Jesus was a, a nutcase. And, and they, they had a hard time with him until the resurrection. After the resurrection... You know, James, the book of James, this is Jesus' half-brother. He became a pastor. He went from one that was belittling and making fun of Jesus to one who was serving and sacrificing for Jesus. Why? Because of the resurrection, because Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus gave the same grace and the same mercy to James as he gave to Paul, as he gave to the twelve, as he gave to the five hundred, as he gave to us. 
Paul said, I am what I am by God's grace. And I'm working and I'm laboring to serve the Lord because of this grace. I, I owe God a debt. Not that I'm trying to, to earn my way into His favor, but because His favor has found me, I feel like the rest of my life should be owed to His service. It's grace. That's the resurrection. Jesus appearing in many infallible ways to show Himself alive. So people would believe, and in believing, they would be saved from the power and the penalty of death, hell, and the grave. That's why he came. That's why he suffered. Because he wants everyone to have eternal life, none to perish, that all would be saved. This is why he hung around Jerusalem and in the countryside for over 40 days after his resurrection. You know, the number 40 is significant in Scripture. We don't have time to go there. That's another message, but it's a great study. For 40 days, Jesus just kept appearing. (laughs) That would wig me out. I mean, you're driving in your vehicle, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, hey. I just want to let you know that I'm alive. I'm alive forevermore. And I just want to show myself alive to you. I'd be like, whoa, I'd be flipping the radio channel. I'd be trying to get my phone out, even though it's illegal, and get a selfie with Jesus. He showed himself alive. And in ways that people could relate to and understand, and he's still doing the same. These other witnesses are the sixth. And then number seven, the seventh sign of his resurrection is his spirit bearing witness with our spirit. So let me sum it up by this. The book of Isaiah said God's people were made for signs and wonders. I'm looking at a bunch of signs and wonders this morning. Online, you're a sign and wonder if you know Jesus Christ. The tale of your life is completely different. The story of your life is completely different. The narrative of your life has changed because of Jesus. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind and now I see. I once was separated from God and now I'm reconciled to God. I once was a sinner and now I'm a son or a daughter. The whole narrative of your life changed. And God's spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're now his son or daughter. You're a witness. You're a sign and a wonder. Wherever you go, your life tells the story of Jesus Christ, of his grace, of his goodness, of his mercy. So thank God for all the signs. Thank God for scripture and all the others that... We've looked at this morning and thank God for the other witnesses and thank God for the physical evidence. And, but thank God that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank God that you and I called upon the name of the Lord. And now you are the temple of the living God. Amen. You are the house in which God resides. And one of these days when this earthen vessel fails us, we have a home and glory not made with hands awaiting all those who love him. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Why? Because he is the only one that predicted his his death according to the scripture, fulfilled the scriptures according to his death, foretold of his resurrection, kept the appointment, 
and defeated death, hell, and the grave and has the keys to show it. Since Jesus has the keys of death, hell, and the grave, all of this bears witness with our spirit. That's why Scripture says you must and I must be born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Whenever you open up your heart and say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God does a miracle in your life. Old things are passed away and all things become new. Because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. You and I now are partakers of God's divine nature. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.